Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Body Devices Podcast. My name is Bilal Malik, and this is my co-host, Trenton Cito. Trenton, how are you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic, Bilal. You know what it is. It's week one. It's a brand new season, and this is the time for everybody to overreact, uh, set some franchises on fire, put some other ones on a pedestal before the season is even into week two. How are you doing, Bilal? Well, I'm doing amazing. I mean, we had a whole week of football that counted. It just felt good to be sitting in front of a TV all Sunday afternoon, evening, and night, just and Monday. Oh, even there was a Thursday game. Man, too much, too much excitement that I can't even remember what days all the games are on. <laughs> but like you said, people are overreacting because some teams played well that apparently weren't supposed to play well. I mean, if, if you know where I'm going at for that. I, I think some, I do. And some teams that were Super Bowl level, they just didn't do as well. Yeah. I mean, like the defending Super Bowl champions themselves or, or a certain team – that has a cheese head as their <laughs> as their like calling sign if you want to put it that way, um, or a team that's meant represented by like the gold rush area. I'm I'm dropping some hints here and there for those who um, know, but uh, it was a good week. I enjoyed it, and uh, I think it's time to recap. And then see where this week two takes us. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it real quick. And the first one we're going to go into is what happens below when your franchise kicker goes down. I know, Trenton. What does happen when your franchise kicker goes down? Well, you don't panic. You don't cry. You just ask around on your roster for who has played kicker at some point in their past life, either in high school or college or, I don't know, peewee soccer? <laughs> well, what if I want to cry in panic? Am I allowed well, to do that? No, not if you're on Andy Reid's team. So Andy Reid lost uh, kicker Harrison Butker in week one of the season, but they quickly solved that by finding Justin Reed, the safety, who was a former high school kicker and he was called into action quite a bit after Mahomes threw five touchdown passes. So, I mean, unreal, honestly. Mahomes, five touchdowns in the first game. I mean, yes, yeah, sorry, this is besides the point we're going for, but like you brought up the touchdowns. And, and is there anything that guy can't do? Uh, he can't replace the inadequacies of a offensive line. <laughs> All right, I'll go, I agree with you on that one. But yeah, <laughs> please continue the uh, kicking situation. Yep, so Justin Reed probably wasn't all too happy with Patrick Mahomes, or maybe he was. I mean, he had to do quite a few kickoffs. I mean, that's something you can't exactly get out of. You can get out of doing the extra point just by, you know, having Mahomes line up 
two yards away from the end zone and going for two points, but you can't exactly get away from kicking off. And he had to do that at least five times because of Mahomes. So he actually did not look out of the part. He nailed some touchbacks. There's a um, a mic'd up video from the sideline. Uh, I think it came out maybe a day or two after the game from like inside the NFL. Um, and just you can see like what you would kind of describe as like the behind the scenes process to how he was like prepping on the sideline with the punter. They were going through their handshake. Um, and then he kicks it off. And even Mahomes is like, wow. Like he was just shocked. And I think Justin Reed had kicked it all the way through the end zone in on one on his on some of his kickoffs. I mean, I mean, I didn't watch all of them, but uh just the fact that your safety can come in and like take the kicking position. In theory, you would think the punter would do it, but they felt comfortable enough with the safety to do it. So, um, just goes to show you that if in life or in sports or just here right now, if as much as you can do, you'll be called upon in various situations. And if you have the skill set, you can go out and deliver. So, yep, it's a life lesson right there. Unfortunately for Justin Reed, uh, the Chiefs have gone and signed a kicker by the name of Matt Amendola, who was formerly with the Jets, to be kicking until Butker gets back. So, sorry, Justin Reed. I mean, I don't blame him. (laughs) Would you really want your starting safety to be out kicking kickoffs and field goals? And what if he gets hurt and then you lose a valuable piece of your defense. So it's like, now that there's been a couple of days since the game, go get an actual kicker. But yeah, yep. it was good. Remember, um, slid off track here, but kind of with the same thing. Remember there was a time back when Chad Johnson or Chad Ochocinco was playing. There was a moment where he went to go kick a field goal. Yeah. Uh, it was either an extra point or a, or a three-point field goal but uh, yeah just remind me of that moment it's always so. fun it's always fun when players play out of position <laughs> yes yes and I believe he got some practice in the preseason too if I'm not mistaken but I, I could be wrong on that fact but who knows what we'll see this week yes all right continuing on we have a little bit of a revenge game Baker Mayfield with the Panthers going against Baker Mayfield. the Browns. And they had a great chance at winning this game if only the refs didn't give a little bit of a bump to the Browns at the very end. Trent, are you out blaming the referees again? Well, this is not exactly what one would call a questionable ruling. <laughs> In this case... I think that I think the idea of what a questionable ruling is questionable in itself. I'd, I'd suppose so. You could be right. But in this case, the refs actually went and explained why they were not calling 
a penalty, but the way they explained it explained that they should have called it a penalty. <laughs> so I'm not sure how that happened. And it's just one of those things where it was called in other games in the past, but not called in this game. And it's just that lack of consistency that is bothering fans in the NFL. Shed a, shed a little context here for us here, what the situation was and why the refs did or didn't do what they did. All right. So Jacoby Brissett is trying to drive down the field for a game-winning field goal. He completes a pass over the middle of the field. The clock's still running. So he rushes everybody to the line, snaps the ball, goes to spike it to stop the clock, but doesn't actually spike it. He takes one quick look downfield at his wide receiver, doesn't really like what he sees, and then spikes it. And, of course, this all happens within the span of, what, like a second? Half a second, maybe? But just the the fact that he fake spiked it before he actually spiked it. And then the refs explained that they didn't call it intentional grounding, which the rule stated should have been called, because they said he took a step back after receiving the snap, but they did not consider that, you know, an extra part of the play before he actually spiked the football. But Trenton, have you ever seen a quarterback take a step when they spike it? They literally take the snap. Just drill it into the ground. (laughs) Just hammer it. There's a reason they don't do it on a shotgun either. Like you can't take a you can't spike it on a shotgun. But the fact how you describe it and it's how it happened, it's uh, that's an intentional grounding call right there. And uh, this was at the end of the game, right? Yep, at the end of the so game. So that, that means that means it would have been a ten-second runoff, and a ten-yard penalty, and a ten, yeah. So which would have put them out of field goal range. So, uh-huh. and then they ended up winning the game on a game-winning field goal. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, going way back now, but this reminds me of. Um, I love to refer things back to Bears games. <laughs> but I, I, th- I think you have an idea where I'm going with this, but it was the Bears and Raiders. Uh, 2011, Caleb Haney was our quarterback, the backup quarterback taking over for Jay Cutler. Caleb Cutler Haney. had uh, broke his thumb. And we were in a position, similar position, I believe, maybe to maybe for a game-winning touchdown or maybe for a game-winning field goal. But uh, we needed to spike the ball and, Haney literally took like two seconds and then he spiked it. And then that caused the 10 second runoff and literally ran the game clock out. So the way you laid it all out and the way the refs explained it means that there should have been a penalty. So I kind of hope the refs can get, this isn't just for this call, for every call out there now, let's, let's let's get this under control now because calls like these, when it comes to playoff times, are going to cause teams a spot to move on to the next round. Or in this instance, it, it cost the Panthers 
the win. So uh, it just goes to show you how much officiating can really impact the game, and you really have to get it right. There's no like set rules that one crew or one team gets a certain type of call while the other team doesn't. We all got to play by the same level playing field. Otherwise, we're not, it's not going to end well. But anyway, it's too long of a rant. Um, the Patriots, regardless of who their quarterback is, have some hard time winning down in Miami. Yeah, and this is, I believe, the first time that a team has gone 4-0 against Bill Belichick's Patriots, and that's the Dolphins after they absolutely crushed the Patriots, and Mike McDaniel gets his very first win as a head coach. Good for him, though. Yeah. I I think... um... I don't think I picked him to win, though. I mean, let me check the uh, who I picked to win that game. I did not pick them to win, but still. Because uh, I would have thought that the more experienced team like the Patriots would have went down there and uh, handled them pretty well. But they didn't. It was a surprise. And... A good way to start it for NFL head coaching career with a win. I mean, as far as all over a division rival like the Patriots, regardless of uh, who they got playing at quarterback, and Mac Jones is a very capable quarterback in his second year, only has the upside to develop into a top player. But then you're going against the best coach to ever play in the history of the league, so or coach in the history of the league, so. It uh, it was a nice upset. Yep, and it's a good start for the Dolphins. A hot start for the Dolphins, even hotter than their parking lot. <laughs> Anyways, Mitchell Trubisky. Mitchell Trubisky was able to sneak away with his first win as a Pittsburgh Steeler against the ever-dangerous Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow. And uh, this was a tough loss for, for good old Joe Burrow. But considering how bad he was playing, there was still an opportunity to come out and win that game. Yep. I believe you were about to say something and I cut you off. So uh, please continue with your thought. Well, Joe Burrow kind of had it in the bag. If only... The Bengals' long snapper did not get injured. It was a season-ending injury for the long snapper in the fourth quarter. And as a result, they needed their backup long snapper, who's a tight end, to come in. And the Bengals had a shot at, I believe it was a game-winning, or yeah, game-winning field goal all the way at the very end. But it was a long field goal. But because it was a back of long snapper, something you don't realize is that that snap has to be crisp and fast because it's going far. But the back of long snapper just didn't have the velocity on that snap. And because it's pretty far kick, you got to kick it low. And because of that, 
the Steelers were able to block it. And then the Bengals had a chance again in overtime to kick what could have been the game-winning field goal. But this time, the backup long snapper sent it too high, which meant when the holder had to bring it down, he didn't have enough time to turn the laces away. And that was what should have been a chip shot field goal when absolutely wide left, I believe. So it was a back and forth game for Joe Burrow. And I'm sure he had many heart attacks during that game, but in the end, they don't come away with the win in overtime. It's also interesting to see though, how much the kicking game, like altered after that injury because you look at it's the same Bengals kicker from last year, Evan McPherson, mm-hmm. the guy who literally kicked them into the Super Bowl. And you need all three of those specialists to be working together. The long snapper, whose literally only job is to long snap it. I don't know other way to put it, but that's his job, right? You have the punter, who's the holder, you got the kicker. Those three people, it's their one job is to carry out that one function. And then you replace that one essential component. Maybe if you replace the whole the punter, maybe someone else could, in theory, come in and hold the ball for you. I mean, you see it on kickoff sometimes, right? When a kicker it's too windy and the ball falls off, a player comes in, holds the ball. Maybe. I, the uh, someone else could have come in and held the ball, and it would be all right. But to get, you got to get the ball there. And long snapping doesn't look that hard on TV. You think maybe the regular center could come in and do it, but if you have a designed position for this sole function, it shows how important it is, right? And the fact that you get your backup tight end in there who I'm guessing doesn't usually practice this type of thing. It, it showed in the game. And like, as we mentioned with Joe Burrow, with throwing as many interceptions as he did. I don't think he played in the preseason at all either. Maybe he did in the last game. I'm not 100% sure, but they could have still won. But we brought this, we started talking about this really with Trubisky and the Steelers. And it's good good for Mitch, I believe, to uh, get this fresh start, as we mentioned many times before. This successful team with a successful head coach who's going to really play to his skill set. And if he keeps winning games, I think he's going to be around there at least through this season. But then if he starts losing games, we're going to get the calls for Kenny Pickett to come in and replace him, which could happen at some point anyway. I don't know. But um, Joe Burrow and the Bengals are going to be back, though. This is not going to be, like, their downfall. I think the years of the Bengals being, like, terrible and not winning playoff games is over as long as they do have Joe Burrow playing quarterback. Yep. I mean, Joe Burrow still has all of his swagger, of course, from the previous seasons. You know, he yeah, is that guy. 
that's important. I mean, yeah, he might come across sometimes as like a little arrogant, but if the team likes him, the team respects him, they follow him, he's the leader, and he's shown he can win and play at a high level. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do in week two and how they rebound from this, like, devastating loss where they could have won it on multiple occasions despite how bad they played at times. So, Yep, I agree. He'll be back. Someone, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, he's got that. He's got that chemistry with his wide receivers. You know who doesn't have chemistry with his wide receivers? Aaron (laughs) Aaron Rodgers hates his wide receivers. Car, if uh, if you had a lip reader that you could put on that one clip of Aaron Rodgers, and I believe it's his OC and his quarterback coach or something, and he's yelling and pointing he's like i can't believe that they got rid of adams and they left me with these bums <laughs> forgot who tweeted that out but that was probably the funniest thing that i've seen all week but um i mean the fact that your game starts off on the opening on your opening play and you launch a 40 50 yard bomb directly into your wide receiver's hands. Whose sole purpose on this team, whose sole job is to catch the ball? Yeah, I don't care that he's a rookie. His job, he's getting paid, and he drops it. That was a walk-in touchdown, too. And then that just set the spiral out of control for that team. I mean, it's the Vikings. Which it shouldn't have happened. Two years in a row now, the Packers get demolished on opening week. There's something. I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved watching every second of that downfall. <laughs> but uh, it's two years in a row. You think you would have fixed something after the first year of doing that? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of unfortunate for them. Of course, we don't need to. We don't need to get. We don't need to get into what happens after week one, though. Let's just stay yeah. back in the week one. Yeah, that's let's keep it there. Um, I need their downfall to continue for just one more week at least. Yeah, their wide receivers need to be fed Nelson Aguilar tape for at least another week. Um, and then after that, then they can go back to watching AJ Brown and Julio Jones tape, who had great starts for their respective new teams. But I want to move on to the Giants. How about the Giants? How about those Giants, man? It was like, are these the Giants? Are, are these Giants? Like, did they win a game? Is, over 500? Is Saquon like Barkley? Is Saquon Barkley actually back? He had a great, well, great game. I'm not going that far yet. He might. Ah. I mean, this is overreaction week, so we might. Uh... Is that your overreaction take that Saquon Barkley is back? Uh, my overreaction take is either Saquon Barkley, comeback player of the year, 
or uh, I don't know, Jameis Winston comeback player to wear? Or no, maybe Geno Smith. Geno Smith, oh, MVP. God. That is definitely an overreaction. But going back <laughs> to the Giants, what do you think of the relationship between Brian Dable and Daniel Jones? Do you think that this is something that can work? Because Daniel Jones has gone through so much change in his short career up until this point. Coaches, offensive coordinators, uh, two head coaches, probably two to three offensive coordinators. This is his, like, what, third head coach now? There's just been no stability with that team, and then the results on that team have shown that there's no stability. And, yeah, there's this is one game, but the way that they came out against the team like the Titans and really took the chance to go for that two-point conversion with Barkley, do you see the old Giants teams even thinking about doing that? No. And, I mean, I think Brian Dable brings in a new chapter to this team, which, of course, Giants fans would hope that he would because it's been a team that hasn't been great since the early 20-teens. I mean, Eli Manning and Odell Beckham Jr. is probably the last time that you can think of them being competent. And now Eli's on Monday Night Football and Odell is just somewhere. I don't even know where he is right now. Yeah, Eli Manning's with some some bum by the name of Peyton Manning. His brother, did he play? Did Peyton Manning play football? I don't know. He must be talking about Cooper Manning. Ah, could be. Maybe Arch. Yeah. Or RG. I don't. I don't think. Family. Don't think Peyton did. Uh... Right, I have a. I have a completely uh, <laughs> random take at this moment. Yes. But uh, we're not. Uh... So we all know that. Uh... With the passing of Queen, Queen Elizabeth, uh, now her son, uh, now he's King Charles, King Charles III. I, w- I was watching one of those uh, Caesars commercials with like uh, J.B. Smoove. Have you, se- you seen him with the Manning brothers and uh, Archie's in there and Cooper's in there? Anyway, no. <laughs> look up a picture of Archie Manning right now on Google. And then look up a picture of King Charles. In my view, they kind of look the same. Look at those their faces. And there's some resemblance to those two guys. Do you see it? I, I, I see a little bit. Yeah. And then and then obviously the running joke in the football world, right, is that Carson Wentz looks a lot like Prince Harry. <laughs> Are you saying uh, that? Uh, is there some connection between royalty and the NFL that we don't know about? That's uh, that's an interesting theory, I must say. No idea where this really just came from right now, but we were talking about the Manning family, and uh, this is how we go off these random tangents right now. But it's fun having these conversations. But back to the Giants. Um, a winning record. Over, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a one and no, but that's kind of big for the Giants, right? Yeah, their first uh, winning record 
since 2016. Which is, they uh, usually could. Uh, they usually can go back to 500 next week, but uh, they play the Panthers, so that'll be uh, an interesting game. Two uh, teams. A relatively similar talent. I might put the Giants higher than the Panthers at this moment. I have not made a pick yet, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, um, that's good. All right, moving on to some injury news then, which uh, there's some big ones too. Yeah, unfortunately, there is always some both long. Long season injuries and also season ending injuries. So we'll start yeah. with perhaps the biggest news, which is Dak Prescott has this a extra. Was, extra this was the most fracture. confusing one that actually came up, but um, yeah, it was described the situation of uh, this, and then what Doctor Jerry Jones' diagnosis was. <laughs> Doctor Jerry Jones. So Dak Prescott has an extra articular fracture to his right thumb, right thumb, which is above the wrist joint, but doesn't extend to the joint itself, which is better than what they feared it was, which was a int, intra, inter, in, intra articular fracture, which is one that does. And it is, um, it's a better diagnosis for him. And it's going to be a four to six week recovery after surgery. So they don't plan to place him on IR. And at the moment, our wonderful Dr. Jerry Jones has said there's no plan to make a move for any quarterback, be it Jimmy Garoppolo or Mason Rudolph. But uh, would you would you like to talk about the certifications of our dear Dr. Jerry Jones? <laughs> <laughs> the guy's got no certifications except that he owns the most valuable team in football. That's so he has only certification. <laughs> His certification is throwing wads of cash at people. I see. He's only he's as certified to be a doctor as you and I are. So from now on, you'll be called Dr. Cito. I mean uh, okay, let's talk about the injury first, then I'll get into Dr. Jerry Jones. Um this was a surprise. Like, all of a sudden, you're watching the game, and then you see, I mean, where did Dak go? And then you see Cooper Rush is in there. And then we find out that Dak's hand is being looked at. And then he and then he gets taken away to the locker room. And the Cowboys were doing really poorly at this point. Like, even even when he was in. Yep. Yeah, but, like, to even at start... Yeah, it might have been way too late in the game. But if there was any chance of a comeback coming, you can't do it with Cooper Rush. Or So basically, they uh, for a moment, I had thought that they were just forfeiting the game, if you want to put it that way, and put their backup quarterback in. But then I realized, then I, Realized that Dak was hurt. And going to Dr. Jerry Jones, the fact that he literally, as the game ended, he gave a diagnosis in a way that Dak is out like eight weeks or 
some number like that. And everyone's like, myself included, it's like, Dak hasn't seen a doctor yet, though. He hasn't, how are you going to diagnose that he needs surgery and he's going to be out eight weeks? And then the next day he has surgery. Now we've updated the timeline to be four to six weeks. It's like, this is going to be an interesting recovery. The fact that you can be back in four to six weeks, because without the Cowboys, I'm sorry, without Dak Prescott, the Cowboys are done. Like, they're not that good of a team. Mike McCarthy is not a good head coach. The guy, I don't know how he's stuck around this long. There's a reason he left Green Bay. There's a reason that his Cowboys teams have not had success. They lost in the wild card round against the Niners at home after winning the NFC East. It's like, if they don't pull something together this year, Mike McCarthy is out of Dallas. I'm putting that out right now. And the fact that they're rushing Dak's timeline like this shows how desperate they are. Because... How many games do you think they win in this four to six week time frame, assuming it's six to four to six weeks? With Cooper Rush at quarterback? Probably not. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna pull up their uh uh, uh schedule and uh we're gonna we're gonna go through these next four to six weeks. I mean Cooper Rush is limited in what he All right. to put so it they just... kindly. <laughs> Well, he played one game for them last year. I know he won. He won that game, right? Did he? I don't remember. I think he did. Uh, now, now you're making me doubt myself. Um, <laughs> all right, let's. Uh, I, I pulled up the schedule while you look at that. Um, so they lost against the Bucks, right? So that's out. That's already an L. Their next game is the Bengals. I'd say they lose that one if Cooper Rush is in the quarterback, which he will be because there's no way Dak's playing. Giants, the way the Giants played this past week, you're going against the backup quarterback, Cooper Rush, they lose that one too. So that's 0-3 to start the season. You, Washington, I put them, I give them an L too. That's three weeks Dak's been out. At the earliest of this four to six week timeline, the Dak comes back against the Rams. They don't win oh, that game. Nope. So in theory, the Cowboys start the season 0-5. And you don't come back from an 0-5 start. I don't see any way of them. Are you are you telling me then that the Cowboys go win go on to win 12 games? Because even if Dak comes back. And week at, at the five week mark, he comes back against the Eagles. And the Eagles, again, we're basing all this off of week one, but the Eagles played well too. They put up again, they put up a big fight against the Lions. So I don't know where this comes from. If Dak was playing in these games, they'd have a fighting chance, but they have no chance right now. So yeah. Uh, are we going to put it out there that Mike McCarthy gets fired halfway through the season? I'm not. I don't know if I'm going that far, but uh, that's a strong possibility if they start 0 and 5, 0 and 6. 
some people have even suggested the possibility that the Cowboys tank this season and they pick up a, a quarterback next year instead. But that doesn't seem viable either because but they're paying Dak, Dak too much money to, to tank. Massive contract and also a no trade clause. So they yeah. can't do that. So it's I mean it's not a good not a good situation for them to be in. Not at all. I mean maybe if Dak was out the original like eight week timeline, then I see them going for a Jimmy G, but if they're gonna stick with Cooper Rush, then this team's in for uh, a lot of uh, a lot of pain the next five five weeks. Yep. Speaking of uh, pain, TJ Watt, the reigning defensive player of the year, yeah, tore his pec in the first game of the season. But, that looked really bad. Yeah. In the beginning, um, obviously, but and the reaction of his. But you're about to tell us the good news. Yep. I mean, he got another opinion. And he's believed now to not require surgery and makes it a not season-ending injury. They're predicting he could be back before the end of October, but there are concerns by previous former NFL players who have torn their pec before and rushed their recovery process. And they, of course, highly advise against TJ Watt rushing that recovery process. So. Either way, it's a tough blow to the Steelers because, I mean, that's that's their star defensive player, and they desperately need him. I mean, he's one of the best players, if not the best defensive player in the entire league at the moment. So it's great news that it's not season-ending, but we don't want it to get to a point where, like you said, he rushes it and it becomes season-ending in at a point in the season where they could really need him. So um, we'll see. We'll be following this and see when he actually does make it back to the field. Uh, to wrap up this injury segment, Trenton, I, we got a few more quick injuries to mention here. Yep, a few. So Fidarian Mathis who is the second-round pick defensive tackle for the Washington Commanders, tore his left meniscus, which is terrible blow for him. Very talented player out for the season. Kyle Fuller, player very near and dear to the hearts of Chicago Bears fans. He's now with the Ravens, but he's torn his ACL out for the season, which is hard for him being a hometown Baltimore-area kid. So Jamal Adams... Safety for the Seahawks injured himself while attempting to sack his former QB, Russell Wilson. He's got a quadriceps tendon injury that likely needs surgery. No timeline on him. And Justin Simmons, the Broncos safety, was placed on IR with a undisclosed thigh injury. So, so far, some rather brutal injuries in week one. And, uh, just hope that the next few weeks and the rest of the season doesn't have a lot, but of course, sadly, it will. I mean, when you play a course of a uh, 
brutal game like football is over the course of 17 weeks, you're going to have these injuries pile up. So we'll just be following it week by week to see what new player ends up on the injury report and how severe the injury is. All right, time to transition into the power rankings and QB index reviews, starting off with the NFL.com QB indexes. There have been some uh, changes here, Trenton. So uh, let's run through the top 10 here. Number one, Josh Allen up from up two spots. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, number two, up three spots from the week before. Justin Herbert up one spot to number three. The GOAT, Tom Brady, down three spots to number four. Aaron Rodgers, oh, I love the sign of this, down three spots to number five. Lamar Jackson up one spot to number six. Joe Burrow down one spot to number seven. Matthew Stafford stayed at number eight. Kurt Cousins moved up four spots to number nine. And Russell Wilson moved up one spot to number 10. Um, he lost that game, though. Yeah, but, I mean, he probably... Performed not too badly. Um, it was a typical Russell Wilson game, even if he. I mean, there was some shakiness towards the end of that game, but okay. <laughs> well, to be fair, if I were to do the power rankings, I would rate Geno Smith over Russell Wilson based on the performance from that one game, but uh, that's that's not how we should rate things. <laughs> Now that you mentioned that, I'm going to go find where Geno Smith is ranked. He's ranked 23, moved up four spots. Good for him. So, um, but uh, as we like to do here, before we get into some of the other players, what are your thoughts on where they've ranked the top 10? I think this is a good top 10. Uh, the only thing I might think about changing is maybe dropping – Kirk Cousins down. I don't know. He moved up four spots into the number nine spot, but uh, I don't know if I'd put Kirk Cousins in the top 10. I mean, he had a, a good game, but I think he'll average out going forwards. So you mean, you mean he's just going to become what Kirk Cousins becomes? Yes. He's going to hit the the likes of performance that he and Andy Dalton and with the Bengals in the past would usually hit just, you know, kind of average, average middling quarterback has good seasons every now and then, but. Yeah. I mean, he's in the middle range, right? He's in that 10 to 15 number in my, my view. Um, Nine does seem a little high from him. And moving up four spots from 13 to nine, it's like, okay. I mean, I get how you put him at the edge of the top 10, but still putting him at a top 10 quarterback. And again, like we opened up the show, this is overreactions from week one. So every ranking, everything is an overreaction. So maybe he, like, comes back to earth at some point. But uh, interesting to see here how they put 
Justin Fields up three spots to number 22. Uh, we can uh, get into that when we talk about the Bears game, but I like this. Moving up three spots. Um, I think there's only room to improve. And not every game will be played in a monsoon. So I think we can see him climbing the ranks over the course of the season based off of this power ranking. And at the bottom of the list is good old, oh, it's Cooper Rush. Wow, they put him on the list. Um, okay, I'll put Joe Flacco at 31. That's who I'm going to say is the least ranked. But in the game that you thought would have meant more to him, he puts up 307 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. So, yeah, it wasn't a wasn't a great game for Joe Flacco. Uh, didn't we didn't we predict in the last episode that this might be the resurgence of his career resurgence? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we thought about <laughs> it. That didn't happen. No, at least we know his arm is still sort of okay after he attempted 59 passes in a week one game but um yeah 37 years old man yeah the arm the arm didn't show it but the leg showed it we'll put it that way (laughs) sorry joe (laughs) all right let's see the power rankings for the overall teams this uh this past week the bills stayed number one uh, again, these are based off of NFL.com's power rankings. Uh, the Chiefs moved up five spots to number two. The Bucks moved up one spot to number three. The Rams dropped two spots to number four. The Chargers moved up four spots to number five. The Ravens moved up four spots to number six. The Minnesota Vikings moved up 13 spots to number seven. We'll get back to this in a second. This does not seem right at all. The Packers dropped two spots to number eight. The Bengals dropped four spots to number nine. And the Eagles moved up four spots into the top ten. In my view right here, Trenton, there's a lot to dissect out of this top ten. More so than it was out of the quarterbacks. But, like, uh, what are your thoughts on where these teams are placed? I think this ranking is... Typical of week one, a.k.a. the overreaction week. I mean, 13 spots. I've never, I've almost never seen that. I mean, the Vikings, they destroyed the Packers, but they don't need to move up 13 spots while the Packers only drop two. It's like, yeah. where, where's the logic in this thing? The team that was supposed to come out and win only drops two spots, and the team that actually does moves up 13. Uh, I mean, and then the Eagles in top, in top 10? Yeah, that's, let's say, uh, 
it's an interesting place to put them. I mean, they are a talented team. A lot of playmakers. Jalen Hurts is most definitely improving. It's just for week one, we'll see where they end up in future weeks. The Niners and Broncos that. both dropped eight spots. Niners went from three to 11, and the Broncos went from eight to 16. Those are hefty drops. Again, these are power rankings, so I don't know. I'm getting very animated or uh, invested here, but just to see how people are ranking these teams, I think this will all. And the Giants moved up seven spots from 28 to 21. So either this shows that last week's power rankings were absolutely terrible and they're really trying to, of course, correct right now. Or there's a lot of just overreaction on all these teams. Uh, Closing off here, we always got to go check. Oh, I like how we're not the worst team anymore. We're not 32. We're... 25, apparently, moved up seven spots. But I think that's it's not too bad of a place. I mean, we got we to gotta start somewhere, even if it's a little jump ahead. Yeah. I mean, you know, we usually cover a couple games um, every week, but let's – only do one this week because I got a lot to talk about for the Bears game. I think there's a, a decent amount of things to talk about, and especially from this power ranking, like the, each each team gets a little blurb of a description for their performance. And just reading the Bears' this power ranking description on NFL.com is like I'll get into it in a minute, but uh, let's talk about the Broncos and Seahawks. The return of Russell Wilson to Seattle. This was the game to watch, I have to say, because, I mean, I thought it was going to be a blowout. I thought it was going to be a blowout. I thought the Broncos were going to blow out the Seahawks. Didn't everyone know? Yeah, (laughs) but the, the crowd was loud. And Geno Smith came out firing. It looked like Geno Smith Gino and Russell Wilson Smith. swapped bodies. It was yeah. absolutely crazy. Essentially, yes. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought Geno Smith, the guy who played for the Jets back in the day, back in the day meaning 2013, um, would come out to start for like the first time in eight years being an opening day starter after going through a quarterback competition with Drew Locke, who they had traded from Denver and sent Russell Wilson to Denver, Drew Locke, and that he beat him out and was able to carry his team to victory over Russell Wilson and the Broncos. You don't see that happen. You just don't, but it did. Yep, and Geno Smith for basically the entire game looked like he could do no wrong. And who who would have expected that given his previous uh, 
results. But, I mean, you also got to look at it this way. Out of all of the quarterbacks from the 2013 draft, Geno Smith is very squarely cemented at number one out of the likes of EJ Manuel, Mike Glennon, Matt Barkley, Ryan Nassib, Landry Jones, Tyler Wilson, I forgot all these guys Brad Sorensen, Zach Deister, and BJ Daniels. And Sean Redford. Who are these guys? Like, I don't know. Like, this is a blast from the past, man. This is the it it has to be the worst quarterback draft in and Gino didn't even go into the second round. Yep. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? But props Fun. to you, Geno Smith, for surviving this long and uh, having his name chanted by Seahawks fans at the end of the game, which must have been absolutely amazing for him. Is this, is this his second like go around playing for the Seahawks? I don't got No, that, my bad. That's a different guy. Uh, I think I messed that up. But um, okay, let's talk about Russell Wilson though. Russell Give him Wilson. this big contract. And before the season even starts, you trade for him. Then you give him his big contract extension before he's ever played for you. And this is the performance that team comes out and puts on the field? Yeah, that was... That was not good, to put it lightly for the Broncos and for Nathaniel Hackett. Russell Wilson wanted to go in there and make a statement. And in the end, he uh, was He made a statement with his suit, though. Did you see that? And his chain. <laughs> Man, that guy is like a fashion icon. But yeah, please. It was uh, not the performance he wanted. No. And he didn't even get a chance to lay it all out there because he wasn't even put out there for the the fourth and five attempt to end the game. You think about that though, that they wasted so much time in that game. Like he's the quarterback of the team, right? It's the end of the game. Fourth and five, you go forward, you kick a field goal. But in theory, you would think that after, like, the third down, and if you still have to convert and the clock is ticking, you would think of a quarterback, your instinct would be to stop the clock. You had three timeouts. Why are you – they waited, what, like 30, 40 seconds for the clock to just keep ticking and ticking, and then they decide, oh, we're going to take a timeout? It's like, if you're going to kick the field goal – I, unless the coach had already made up his mind and he's like, all right, Russell, if we don't get this, we're going to kick a field goal regardless. So just let it take it down. Don't stop it. And I'll stop it on my own or something like that. But I don't understand the logic behind this. Yep. You and many others around the apparently, NFL. Apparently, the Hackett didn't understand the logic either because he's like, in hindsight, we should have gone for it at four and five. It's a one-point game. You want to keep a 64-yard field goal? 
Your kicker's longest range, I believe, is what, 61 yards? And that's probably because he plays in Denver. So, of course, that he's going to kick a long field goal in Denver because there's thinner air in Denver. But um, in happier news, the Bears rallied from a 10-0 deficit to beat the San Francisco 49ers at home in a rainstorm, 19-10. to 10. Thoughts? It was a great win by the Bears, and it was basically keying on all the points that Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles have been constantly pushing on the team, on the fans, on the media throughout the offseason. We saw it in the preseason, and then we saw it again in this first game. It's that the Bears hits principle for the defense and for the entire team. They played smart, disciplined football, very few penalties, very few mistakes. Three penalties in the whole game, and one was a dumb unsportsmanlike penalty because we had a towel on the field. Yes. It was a rainstorm, man. You need a towel to dry the field up a little or just to make sure that we weren't kicking into a puddle of water. But, like, yeah. this was a, a game that everyone was saying the Bears are going to be like demolished in and then and they're not gonna um win and the bears are the worst team in the league justin fields can't do anything i mean they really just sound a bunch of people but you know what makes me even more upset right now is that the media and like especially the national media they find a way to blame it on the 49ers' lack of like good play, or they find a way to blame it on the weather. It's like, hey, the Bears played in the same weather. The Bears were just the better team that day. Three penalties, like I said, a disciplined team, takeaways, and made the plays when they needed to, and they had the momentum and didn't give it away. 19 unanswered points. They made the adjustments they had to make. Yes, the game got off sloppy. The game was not good in the beginning. You think that, oh, this is going to be uh, something from the uh, the Matt Nagy era of, all right, we got behind, we're just going to basically fold it out. But no, they made the they, they said this too, uh, the players. They're like, all right, we went in the locker room at halftime and we made the adjustments that we needed to make. Like, they actually adjusted their game plan because what they had before wasn't working. And then when they got it to work, they, it, all, it started clicking. They got fields moving, which is what he does well. He used his feet when he needed to. He hit his receivers on major throws. They were throwing the ball down the field, like actually throwing it down the field. No more like dink and dunk passes to the running back, which was how the game started off. 
and at times you needed those just so that we can get the ball moving. But this was, I, I, I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm, I've been excited from day one. But like you can see that the team has bought into Eberflus fully, fully bought into him. He's a player's coach. They respect him because he respects them. And there's the feel free to jump in anytime too. I don't don't let me just ramble on. But um, the post game video of Justin Fields handing Matt Eberflus the game ball. Handing it to GM Ryan Poles, another game ball. It's like this team, there's an excitement. They finished the game. They went and did that picture perfect slide in the end zone. Like, this team's having fun. This is what winning feels like. Yeah, it's week one, but why not us? Like, why does this have to be a rebuilding year? Why does this have to be a, a, a lost cause? Why can't we? rack a few wins together, see where this goes, and just keep building on this week one success. So, again, it's from Mike Marks out there. The Bears are not the worst team in the league. And they just showed that on on Sunday. And everyone was talking about how the 49ers are a Super Bowl built team, ready to go. Trey Lance is going to Take off. Trey Lance is not ready. Should have put in Garoppolo, but obviously they they didn't. So, um, all right, I'm done. <laughs> no, that was that was good. I know, I know. When you get hyped about the Bears, you go on a roll. I don't even need to say a thing. You no, you're hit every like, point. You got them all. <laughs> It's not even that, too. It's just where everyone put the Bears to start the season off. And it's like, we went through the power rankings last week, right? 32. Where is the logic behind all this negativity coming towards it? And when they win a game, too, when I when they win a game, the night, that night, anytime they ever win, before I go to sleep, I always love reading uh, – Chicago Bears articles. I'll just do a Google search to soak in the victory just because it just feels good to win. And there's nothing about like the Bears' success. It's all about like the failures of the Niners or the weather conditions. It's like, did you guys forget who actually won this game? So that's that's what annoys me. But uh, if we can come off with another win this week against the Packers team, that is like depleted and has no weapons and forces Aaron Rodgers to do everything himself. He is going to make mistakes and we got to be there when he does. So, and then what do you think about the return of Eddie Jackson? 20, it's great. Is he going to, is this like a 2018 type season for him? I think it could be. I mean, this. The entire defense seems to have reacted really well and have really taken to heart what Eberflus has brought to them and Alan Williams, the defensive coordinator. So it's it's just great to see a team that's always prized itself on 
its defense that hasn't been as great as it has been in previous years. It was still it was still good, but seeing it at this level makes you realize that you know there is a higher ceiling than in previous seasons and the bears are in even better position now to reach that that height that they can and i love i'm gonna wrap up with this is that i love that how in the niners first possession they were driving down the field right and then we just come out and Jalen Johnson does the peanut punch. He wears 33, right? He does. Yeah, so that's peanut's number. Yep. So, like, it's just fitting that this team is getting back to it. Maybe it's because they're going, they're back in the 4-3, and they're implementing that. Uh, I mean, Eberflus comes from that nature of the Lovey Smith style defense, right? So this is what that's what's worked in Chicago for years and years. And if we go back to what works, I think that this team, it's the, the sky's the limit, man. And we're making progress. We're a young team. We got a star quarterback. The only mistake he really made was that interception that he threw in like quadruple coverage or something which yeah it scratches your head but he didn't make any mistakes after that and he started leading the team uh, like he needed to and there's a reason they voted him captain and hopefully he continues his success uh, for the weeks and years to come all right we're getting close to the end here but we cannot end this without the games for next week. So their Thursday night Amazon broadcast, the first time Amazon is hosting or broadcasting a NFL game solely on their platform. The Chargers and Chiefs. Who are you taking? I'm going to take the Chargers. It's an interesting choice. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. All right. Um, Dolphins at Ravens. I'm going to go Dolphins. Uh, Ravens for me. All right. Uh, Jets and Browns. Would you believe me if I were to take the Jets? I'm not going to say you're lying because there's no way to prove fact or fiction here, but like, go for it. I mean, much as it pains me to take the Browns because of how much of a dysfunction that whole organization is, I don't see the Jets winning this game. So I'm going with the Browns. Um, the Commanders at Lions. This is going to be interesting. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Lions here. They were close in their last one. They were really close. I mean, is this the new look Lions who can score like, what was it, 35 points? Yeah, I believe. Believe it is. I'm going Lions too. All right. The Commanders put up a almost lost against the Jaguars, which I don't know is indication of the Jaguars. But uh, speaking of the Jaguars, the Colts at Jaguars. Going to take the Colts. I think Matt yeah, Ryan's going to settle in. I mean, got to get the first win or loss at some point. So, uh, Buccaneers at Saints. Ooh, this is going to be a close one. But you know what? 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Jameis Winston. I'm gonna go Saints on this. There's one. something that happens when the Bucks and Saints play each other. Yeah, <laughs> especially in New Orleans. But I'm going the Bucks. All right. Panthers at Giants. Oh, see, it's hard now, right? Because psychologically, you think of these teams from like five years ago, and it's like you try to. You got to forget. You got to remember that this is a new season, and you can't judge them off the past. So, I don't know. I Giants going Giants. All right, I'm gonna go Panthers. Okay. Patriots and Steelers. I'm gonna go Steelers here. I don't see the Patriots starting zero two, but. Steelers, I mean, again, it's hard to pick these games now because so many of these teams are so close in skill level. Um, but, yeah, Steelers, if this game was in, like, Foxborough, I might have taken the Patriots, but it's in Pittsburgh, so. Uh, Falcons at Rams. Going to go Rams. Rams. Seahawks, Niners. <laughs> Again, this is hmm. Gino, Gino, Gino. I'm gonna go Seahawks too. Bengals, Cowboys. Ah, this is Bengals. We already made this pick like a half hour ago. Um, Texans, Broncos. I'm gonna go Broncos here. Mm, Broncos, Cardinals, Raiders. This is a tough one because both of these should be good teams, but the Cardinals, the Cardinals yeah, they seem to have hit their mid-season slump in the first week of the season. So I'm gonna go Raiders. Remember, remember was it last year, right, where they started like eight and zero or something, and then they just collapsed? Yeah. Ah, home game for the Raiders. Let's take the Raiders. Uh, Bears Packers, there's no question who's winning that one. Going with the Bears. Bears. Um, Titans at Bills. Bills. Uh, Bills. Vikings at Eagles. Again, two very similar teams, but I'm going with the Eagles on this one. I'm also going to go with the Eagles. Again, this could go either really well or this could go really bad this week in picks. Because again, so many of these teams that are playing each other are just too similar in their level of play and their productivity. So I really don't know where this can go. What fascinates me is that we went almost complete opposites in the first half of these games. And then in the last half of picking these games, we were pretty much completely consistent. With each Again, other. You, gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. You can't no uh, points to get more wins than you, so I can't be getting more wins by picking the same teams as you. <laughs> we need a little um, drama early on in the season. Of course. Um, Fresh teams, lots of upsets. It's great football. So, that does it for another episode of the Bible Aces podcast. Thank you all for listening. 
we'll be back with another episode. Hopefully there'll be less overreactions after we'll have a larger sample size of every team. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the rest of your week. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BillMallon15 and Trenton underscore Cito. Please stay safe and enjoy another week of the NFL. I think that towel was secretly on the 49ers staff, don't you?